This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Well, it was a bit of a skirmish than a full-on battle. Um, you know, there were a couple key moments, but there was no knockout punch. So I think round one, I think, would be the fair way to say it and bring on more. Following this week's federal leaders' election debate, the first of the campaign, we'll have our first special Zoomer election panel. Plus, would you trust your financial planning to a machine over a person? Financial guru Gordon Pape writes about the rise of the robo-advisor in the latest issue of Zoomer magazine, and he'll join me a little later on. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A new study has found that dementia is striking more and more people at an earlier age, And if that isn't bad enough, death rates from dementia are rising. The study, published in the Surgical Neurology International Journal, compared 21 Western countries between the years of 1989 and 2010. It found that these days people are being diagnosed with forms of dementia full 10 years earlier than they were 20 years ago. Many patients are now diagnosed in their late 40s. The research also found that the death rates from dementia have nearly tripled for men over the age of 75. The researchers suggest that pollution from air transport, motor vehicles, and insecticides could contribute to the onset of dementia at a younger age, but that assertion has raised skepticism amongst other dementia experts. Here's some good news in the brain health department. It's called the mind diet, and by following it, older adults can drastically reduce their cognitive age. According to a new study by the Rush University Medical Center, people who stick to the mind diet, which is a mix of the Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet, that's dietary approach to stop hypertension, can become up to seven and a half years younger than they actually are in terms of cognitive ability. Researchers followed 950 older adults and their eating habits over the course of almost five years and performed annual tests for cognitive ability in five areas. To benefit from the MIND diet, every day you must consume at least three servings of whole grains, green leafy vegetables, and one more other vegetable, and a glass of wine. You should snack on nuts most days, have beans every other day, eat poultry and berries at least twice a week, and fish at least once a week. If you're someone who can't function until you've had your morning cup of joe, then you should pause and give thanks to Vincent Murata Sr., who passed away this week at the age of 91. Murata was the co-creator of Mr. Coffee, a machine that revolutionized how people make their morning brew. Murata and his business partner, Samuel Glazer, turned Mr. Coffee into a household name after asking two engineers to create a drip 
brewing system like those found in restaurants. Their machine worked well, and a celebrity endorsement from Joe DiMaggio had it flying off store shelves. People across North America made the switch from old-style percolators to new drip machines, the brewing method that is still the most popular today. The pair sold their company in 1987 for $182 million. And finally, when you think of a Brazilian beauty contest, your mind probably doesn't jump to a bunch of older men. But it should. A Brazilian truck driver has just won Sao Paulo's annual Most Handsome Elderly Man contest. Aureo de Nascimento beat 21 other contestants between the ages of 62 and 94 at this year's contest. The 63-year-old says the pageant helps older men improve their self-esteem and overcome the prejudices others feel. Awards were also handed out for Mr. Elegance, Mr. Smiles, and Mr. Shyness by a jury of five women. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. We brought in income splitting for our pensioners. I know something the other parties oppose, but they appreciate it. We've we've Mr. Mo- Harper, we've made the Mr. rules Harper, for rifts more true. generous. Mr. We've made rules for Paul, rifts more Mr. generous. Mr. We have has been not, putting that we're, out. We're not halfway done this in, segment on the economy. Mr. Harper so has been putting that time. out in misleading attack ads, uh, and none of the other parties have ever talked about touching, and I'm including Mr. Mulcair on this one, touching income splitting Mr. for Trudeau, seniors. You voted. That exchange on a key Zoomer issue was one of the highlights of Thursday's election debate. How did the leaders do and how will it shape the rest of the campaign? We're here with the first installment of our Zoomer election panel with Nick Nanos of Nanos Research, Morning News anchor Jane Brown and Dale Goldhawk, host of Goldhawk Fights Back. I think it was more of a psychological profile. You know, the thing is, is that for a lot of people, they don't see people in leaders at least, in a pressure cooker, which is what the debate is. And in last night's pressure cooker, even though there wasn't a knockout punch, it was pretty clear that both Justin Trudeau and Elizabeth May were very comfortable presenting themselves and engaging the other federal party leaders. Tom Mulcair looked like the guy that was, okay, I'm doing really well in this election. Let me hold on tight and not make a mistake. And then for Stephen Harper, it was like, uh, and please forgive anyone that's a dentist who's a listener, it was a trip to the dentist. Let's get in, get through this, and get out. The very first time they introduced um, um, uh, Stephen Harper, uh, the look on his face, the smile, reminded me, I think you nailed it, Nick, a visit to the dentist. I think that's exactly what Stephen Harper was uh, thinking at the time. But that uneasiness soon went away, and I think uh, all of them, um, uh, you know, managed to uh, comport themselves uh, quite well. Some of my uh, listeners, in reacting to it, were uh, most impressed not that he won the debate, but most impressed with Justin Trudeau because expectations had been so low. One Tory saying they'd be, they'd be impressed if he showed up with his pants on. Right. You know? It was really his night. I mean, it was his night to prove everyone wrong. And that's exactly what he did. I don't know that he came across looking prime ministerial, but he certainly came across as looking like a strong leader, firm in his beliefs, well-spoken, perhaps well-rehearsed, and very confident. You know, Tom Mulcair talked about, like he did the, when I'm prime minister, this is what it will be like. And Justin Trudeau never said that. He talked about when there's a liberal government. Doesn't that just follow the numbers? Well, yes, it follows the numbers. 
but you know the thing is is that you know those those types of positions have different kind of appeal to different types of voters. You know, I think it would be fair to say that probably older voters, what they would find more appealing would be kind of the talk about the strong leader, while younger voters would probably be more interested in more collaborative approach, team-oriented leadership that I think Justin Trudeau is trying to tap into. What about Harper? How did Harper do, Dale? I think Harper came away unbruised. He was clearly uncomfortable with some of the questions, but he's been there so many times before. He knows how to handle himself in, in that kind of scrap, and nobody really landed an effective punch on him. One of the things that struck me is that Harper was vulnerable on the economy, which is really his strong suit. How did, what did you think of his performance there? Well, you know, the thing is, is that right now he's got to come to grips with a difference between uh, what he says is happening in the economy and keeping things calm with some of the economic news that's coming out from the IMF and kind of recent moves by the Bank of Canada, which are contrary to uh, or which undermine his assertion that everything is okay. You know, this whole election for, for the Conservatives hinges on two things, Harper and the economy. And, uh, it's a, you know, Harper's basically bearing the whole burden of the campaign in terms of trying to make it effective because it's built around him, and they're building their whole campaign around the economy. But, uh, you know, the conservatives have to watch out that if it seems that Stephen Harper is starting to kind of soften his views on whether we're in a recession or not, it just makes for, as they say, more explaining he's got to do. One of the most interesting moments of the debate came early, and it was on our issues here on Zoomer issues, and it was around this whole question of income splitting. What did you make of that, Nick? We heard from Justin Trudeau on a number of occasions when he's trying to portray whatever the Prime Minister is saying is unbelievable and a stretch. You know, we heard that from Justin Trudeau. We also heard that from Elizabeth May. Do you think those issues, what we call Zoomer issues, uh, will become ballot issues, Nick? Well, they can be if there's an accumulation effect, that if you do a poor job on these issues, then... You're, you could potentially pay the price. You want to at least make sure that they're not a risk for your campaign. He also yeah. took it on the chin with the uh, old age security. Yes. With the with eligibility age having been raised from 65 to 67. His age rejoinder age. was, oh, it's still 10 years away, as if it's well, right. necessarily I found him it. very much <laughs> on the defensive where he started to list the things that he did do for Zoomers yeah. in terms of increasing tax-free savings accounts and all of those measures. One thing that you have to give credit for Stephen Harper is that he has his lines and he repeats them over and over and over again. He's not one to admit mistakes or to admit that he's wrong. And I think that's what makes him such a frustrating opponent for many for the other opposition leaders. One of the things that I thought was that they did not get into the whole issue of ethics and government enough. And Harper said it was not his job to apologize for that, but to deal with it. I was quite surprised when they started talking about ethics that no one did the, you know, what did you do, what did you say on the Nigel Wright thing? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and what did you know and when did you know it? Exactly. Right. Like, give us some answers. You're here, you're talking to Canadians, give us an answer. Was it a miss for the opposition? My, from my perspective, it was a miss just to ask a simple question like, what did you tell Nigel Wright to do and did you know it? Nick, when are you going to find out exactly what the result of that debate was in terms of voting intentions? Well, you know, the thing is, is that there are more people that are influenced by the coverage of the debate after the fact. They listen to the radio, they watch TV, they read the newspapers, than by actually watching the debate unfiltered on their own. So it usually takes at least a week or two 
for the impact of the debate to filter through. You know, what I heard from, from Justin Trudeau is he wants to cast the Prime Minister, Stephen Harper, as being unbelievable. He wants to cast Tom Mulcair, and he said it a few times, you say one thing in French and another thing in English, yeah. which resonates yeah. with voters outside of Quebec for sure, because they've heard that before and it annoys them. And for Tom Mulcair, it's going to be to what we talked on the phone. Hey, look at me. I look like a prime minister. (laughs) So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Okay, on that note, I think we can wrap up this uh, early election campaign panel. Nick Nanos, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And Dale Goldhawk and Jane Brown, thank you both. Thank you, Thanks for the opportunity. It was great fun. (laughs) We'll we'll talk again. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll be checking back with our Zoomer election panel as the campaign heats up. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. You may or may not turn to a financial advisor, but would you trust a computer with your personal finances? Coming up, Gordon Pape will tell us about the rise of the robo-advisor. You probably use a bank machine instead of going to a teller, and you may use Uber instead of a traditional cab company. But would you trust a computer to take over the management of your nest egg? It's not futuristic speculation. That option is already here, and I turn to financial expert and Zoomer magazine columnist Gordon Pape for his take on it. It's a brand new concept, and it's really uh, just in the infancy stage, both in the United States and Canada. The U.S. is much more advanced in this area than we are, but there are some companies in Canada that are experimenting with it. So what is the concept? Well, essentially the idea is that instead of dealing with uh, an individual, someone that you either uh, call on the phone or go and see, uh, you do it all electronically. You do it all through your computer. So, for example, you would be asked to fill out a form and they would ask you questions about your income and your investment goals, your risk tolerance level, your age, and all the rest of it. And then from that information, there would be automatically recommended to you a suitable portfolio of low-cost exchange-traded funds, ETFs, as they're known. And once you set up this account and you put your money into it, you'd acquire this portfolio. And then the computer, the program, would automatically monitor the portfolio if uh, it gets out of balance with the particular asset allocation you want, that is the mix between stocks and bonds. It'll rebalance it for you. It'll uh, maximize the tax efficiency of the portfolio. And you can check it out online anytime you want and immediately know exactly where you stand. How is that different from what we have now? I mean, it's been years uh, since you've been able to go online and punch in those those things and they come up with an asset mix or, or whatever. How different or how much more advanced is that than what we really have now? Well, it's different in the sense that there's uh, when it's done in, in a pure way, there's, there's no human intervention. It's all done online. Right now, you have to go through a broker who may well do many of these same things, but that person is supposed to uh, assess your situation, determine what is appropriate for you, uh, and uh, then follow that through with the portfolio that would be recommended in your case. You usually have to pay a premium fee for that. Now, there are discount brokers, but they don't give you any advice, and they don't create a portfolio for you. You've got to do it yourself, as it were. I'm assuming that a lot of the uh, people who do this for you, often they just do it by crunching the numbers in a program like this. Well, sometimes they do, yes. Uh, There are off-the-shelf portfolios. uh, They're 
given various names. They're sometimes called portfolio funds or funds of funds, uh, where in effect you're buying a package of mutual funds or exchange-traded funds, and uh, supposedly you're getting this uh, that's designed for your particular needs. You will usually pay more for that if you're getting it through a human advisor, a, a real person. Uh, because after all, these people have to eat, and so they, <laughs> they expect to get paid for their services. So this really takes all human contact out of it? Well, in, in theory, it does. Now, again, you get all kinds of situations developing here in Canada. We have some companies that are using what they call a hybrid approach, where the robo-advisor would actually uh, do the, the, the heavy lifting in terms of creating your portfolio and monitoring it and so on. A wealth concierge, I mean, I love this term, <laughs> a wealth concierge would be there to give you advice, hold your hand when the markets crash, that kind of thing. Uh, generally, the costs in the U.S. are rock bottom, uh, but because the system is really so new in Canada, it's quite a bit more expensive here. It's a good deal in the terms of cost, yes, there's no question about that. Whether it's a good deal in terms of the effectiveness of money management, we don't know, because these services are so new, uh, and they haven't really had much of a history in order to prove themselves especially we don't know what would happen in a market crash. And would you recommend to people to, you know, go for it, try it out, or...? Well, at this stage, no, uh, nor would I disrecommend it. It's just a matter (laughs) of um, being so new and not having any empirical evidence on how well these perform. I would say uh, to someone who, who may be listening, who might be interested in the idea... Uh, you can open up small accounts for for a very small amount of money. And if you're interested in the idea, try it out and see how it works. Okay. Gordon Pape, thank you so much. You're welcome, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can read Gordon Pape's column on the rise of machines in the September issue of Zoomer magazine. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Take a quick break, and then it's back to celebrate the birthday of Tony Bennett. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. The hilarious Jane Lynch was first noticed in the Christopher Guest mockumentary Best in Show. Now the Emmy Award winner is starring in her own one-woman show on Broadway called Best in Show. In San Francisco, the late Amy Winehouse is the subject of two art exhibitions at the Contemporary Jewish Museum. One is called Amy Winehouse, a family portrait, and features some of the singer's personal artifacts. And the second is called You Know I'm No Good, and features artworks inspired by Amy Winehouse. To London, England. The Who's rock opera Tommy is at the Greenwich Theater. And in Paris, an exhibition on photographer Robert Duaneau is at the Rodin Museum and looks back at his interest in sculptures in public places. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, the one and only Tony Bennett celebrated his 89th birthday. He's enjoyed an incredible singing career that has spanned over seven decades, and in true Zoomer fashion, he's showing no signs of slowing down. At 89, he still jet-sets around the world to sing in some of the most prestigious concert halls. And just last year, he released his 57th studio album, a series of duets with pop star Lady Gaga. 
The album received terrific reviews and showed that Bennett is still able to push the status quo and release genre-defining versions of timeless hits. Right now, we'll hear a perfect example, Bennett and Gaga's cover of Cole Porter's Anything Goes. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked down as something shocking now heaven. That was Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga with Anything Goes. Bennett celebrated his 89th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Bendry. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.